Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey friends, have you noticed that no matter how much yoga we do, we may still struggle in our intimate relationships. My husband and I have a great relationship, but we are not relationship coaches. And we know that yoga can and does help, but at a certain point, you need more relational support from a relationship specialist. If you're going through some kind of challenge right now in your relationships, my friend Jason Gaddis at the Relationship School can help. Jason's team will pair you up with a skilled relationship coach, and within 48 hours, you'll be getting private one-on-one support on whatever you're going through relationally. And right now, for my listeners only, Jason is offering half off one month of relationship coaching. Head over to relationshipschool.com slash Laura to get the deal and watch your relationships improve. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we happily answer them. I am joined, as always, by my lovely, beautiful, amazing, talented co-host, Kristen Williams. Thank you, Laura. Hey, everybody. So glad to be here. Let's do it. Okay. Our first question is from Elizabeth Fryer, who is a lit devotee, a lit yoga certified teacher, etc., And she says, I've had left SI joint pain since last June. Lit sometimes seemed to aggravate it. So I stopped for a while. In early November, I vacationed at Grand Canyon and Sedona. No yoga or any activity besides hiking. My back felt great. Once home, I started lit again. I can do everything in a lit class. No sharp pain during, but sometimes later in the day. I had a PT session with KB who I'm speaking with, in December, she gave me moves to do to reset it, to make it feel better, and I've tried to let it heal slash strengthen it. And for a couple months, stuck with Kristen and Rana classes, which I enjoy, but I miss you as an instructor and the faster transitions and higher intensity. I did your moving out of the muck a couple days ago. Unfortunately, I'm in pain again, despite KAB's reset. I'm not doing half moon, and I'm keeping my back toes on the ground and airplane even to protect it. What else can I do? So she's not alone. Um, SI joint pain is is often the targeted area. You know, and anytime you have pain, 
it's really important to remember it is not usually where the root is. Sometimes it is. She fell over when she was hiking, bruised her hip, and it's painful there. That's that's a reasonable. Uh, there's a reason for that. But SI joint pain is usually generated um, from a decreased neuromuscular coordination of controlling the core. And what that's how to summarize means there's a lot that is stabilizing your pelvis and your spine. And when you move, so it's not, it's not surprising that faster movements, transitions, weight bearing on one leg, weight bearing on one leg, and then loading it more like a half moon where your trunk is going down. It's not surprising that would aggravate it. Um, so it's frustrating because it's like you want to do these kind of faster movements. You want to do multi, um, you know, planar movement patterns because it feels good in all the other areas, but then you're stuck with more pain. And the the first thing I'll say is it will get better, but it's, this is some, I also know you, Elizabeth, and I know this is an area that has been kind of a long stem, like maybe it hasn't always been painful, but around there you had underperforming glutes for a long time. Bingo. That's the, that is probably the root cause. When your glutes are not, and underperforming means that they're not firing as quickly as you need them to based on the demand. So I always talk about like, it's all about, are, is your body answering the demand that is, it, that's given to it with the, you know, appropriate responsiveness? So if I'm, I gave this example to teacher trainees the other day. I said, you know, Orlando's sitting, he's chilled out, but if anybody comes to that door, he could spring up and run to the door, no problem. He's not going to limp around. He's not going to be like, Ugh. you know, it's just, he's, he's a perfect example of adaptability and the, it's called The Supple Leopard, which is a wonderful book. It's like, are we supple leopards? Well, many of us are not. Many of us could not go from that relaxed state Nervous system isn't sending out any major firing to the muscles because you're totally relaxed. But that when you have, when you visualize and have the desire to get up and do something, everything is summoned in a coordinated way to support your pelvis spine so that your limbs can move. It's as basic as that. And it's also extremely complex. So if you've had lots of years where that wiring was not up to snuff, and then you add demand, it's not going to be able to handle it. And that not being able to handle it will end up in a kind of pain area, tense area, but it's often not the place. So I'm going to let you speak about what you did with her. But my recommendation is slow it down, use your props, strengthen your glutes. Walking is great. Hiking is better. You've got to use your glutes. Walking isn't enough. You have to strengthen your glutes. You have to do the laborious task of repetitive glute strengthening. That's glute bridges. That's glute pulses. That's put your forehead down. I mean, your forearms down and start extending that hip and do not let your low back sag. Uh, so you could do it with your forearms on a chair. You could put your hands on a chair and just extend the leg a little bit. You can rise up from a chair and hover and rise up and hover. You have to do the laborious task of screening the, screening the glutes because glutes. if they don't come in fast enough, boom, there's your hot spot, SI joint. Yeah. 
No, I mean, I think that uh, it's so funny that you talked about the laborious effort. I mean, I every single private I do with people, I'm always giving them a small handful of what I'm like, all right, here's, here's the boring shit you got to do because we need to retrain these muscles. They are not firing well. They are not firing together. They are, they're just, it's a, it's a, it's a misfire. So in Elizabeth's case, it's, it's been a while since I worked with her, but I clearly remember we were looking at her hips, making sure the hips were moving well, because why was her SI joint taking the brunt of it? We were looking at mobility around the SI joint and within the SI joint. Um, and so I gave her both mobility work and then this, the, the boring shit to do this, the, the strengthening work. And it, and it really did help where I think, what I think she should do, because I know I'm confident she misses your fun, um, you know, choreography and just the energy. What we have a lot of people do is they, if you guys don't know this on lit daily, you can slow and speed things up. I would recommend taking you down to 0.75. It will give you that extra few seconds to motor plan and, and strategize because that's where you're falling out, if I had to guess, Elizabeth. It's when things get sped up, when the movements become bigger and you are not able, your body is not able to support that SI joint by using the glutes, by using the core, and you're defaulting to old movement patterns because that's what the body does. It's going to go its normal route unless we retrain it to go the new way. So take Laura's classes, but drop them down to 75%. It, it will just be that little difference, I think, will help you be able to do her classes without suffering the consequences because you do need to be able to move in the multi-planes that, that Lara puts you through more so than I do, even in some of my more advanced classes, but, um, you know, especially the beginner intermediate, we purposely keep those less transitional for the people who aren't able to move there. You, you, you want to take it there, just drop it down in speed. And I think that you'll get that satisfaction of what you've been missing while still working in with better movement patterns through those fuller and more unique ranges of motion because that's what's going on you your body is not supporting that area it's it's taking the brunt of something else most likely your glutes that aren't firing and so then when you speed things up that's when we that's that that's that's when we get hurt when our when when we're no longer able to think about it that's a brilliant suggestion i've actually had people i didn't even know that was an option I've had people write me, I love your classes. I do have to slow them down. Um, these are mostly people that have some hypermobility, which I believe Elizabeth has to some degree in terms of the laxity. And they say, it's great. Sometimes you sound a little drunk, but I love that I can do it. And I have that extra amount of time to, because when you're not, when that neuromotor coordination isn't quite... Yep in its most optimal zone, you need to bring in the thought to it as well, right? So automatic stuff happens when everything's like firing well. And, and when it's not quite there, you add a speed to it. You need to slow it down and then think about it. I'm stepping this foot forward while I'm holding my spine long. Then I push into that foot and I'm holding my core to lift me up in that transition. 
So there's no shearing on the low back. There's no kind of, you know, just kind of flopping myself up. And it, it is a brilliant suggestion that we have. And you can slow it down and hear me at slow speed. And this just brings up another, I mean, we could talk about movement for hours. But when people hear about posture not mattering or all movements, good movement, and, and this is where you, this is where you have to go under the layers. That is a, that is a sound bite you cannot believe. Because why does posture matter? Because it sets up your nervous system so that you aren't like Orlando, relaxing and then just being able to get up and spring. Your posture is starting in a suboptimal position, and then the muscles that are shortened or lengthened are going to respond differently because of that. And you'll do it hundreds of times, thousands of times, and then that becomes your go-to, and that becomes your go-to. And we can always kind of unwind and detangle and improve. And so all movement is not necessarily good. All movement, we can, everybody can, I mean, often most people can do certain things, but there are many ways of doing that that are less efficient and that are, um, it's not just about, you know, creating an injury. It's about being able to build on that to become like, you know, have more endurance, be able to have more speed. So there's all these other variables than just performing the movement, not just how you perform it, but could you do it rep in a, a repetitive matter? Do you have the endurance for that? Could you do it in an explosive pattern? Do you have the power for that? You know, there's, so it's really, really important to realize that I, I'm, we're intelligent and we're physical therapists. I'm always examining my movement. And especially in the times where I know my endurance is not as great or if I haven't been doing it a certain way, whatever. I'm never just going on autopilot because I want to pay attention to what's my brain, my nervous system, my firing. It, it matters. Well, and I think as teachers, we have the advantage because we're talking the cues, which means we're doing the cues. So every time I say, step your foot up next to your right hand, press down to lift up, I'm cueing myself. So mm -hmm. I am every time... Every time we're saying that stuff to you, we're doing it in, a, in our own body as a way to remind ourselves how to move, but um, also to remind you guys. Um, it's we're, yep. we're not just saying it for fun. Um, yeah, you could talk to yourself. You could also talk inside your brain. Like when I'm practicing on my own, I'm not saying out loud, hold that left scapula, but I'm saying in my brain, yeah. come on, left scapula, hold it, hold it, hold it. Like, yeah. you know, and I'm just, and it's those extra little moments. So know that it will... Um, it will improve, but you, you do have to do the nitty-gritty repetitive stuff. Why? Because you've got to not only get the strength, but get that repetitive. That becomes more the track so that you that firing is more coordinated. We're pulling for you. You know that. So hang in there. Okay. Next question. Hi. Hey, Laura. My physio here says my multifidus muscle on my left side is asleep. So I've been working in that. Client of mine also saw the same physiotherapist and her multifidus muscle on her left side is not firing enough too. So my question is how to cue this muscle when I teach. I know it's there in the reset, but obviously I haven't found the right words to help people activate it. This may be a question for the podcast, which I love and listen to on repeat. Well, thank you so much. And this is from Danine. Um, Do you want to launch on that one? And yeah, I'll talk. yeah, sure. It is interesting. We 
we do see multifidae go to sleep. Multifidae, we can think of them, I like to think of them as braiding up the back. So they're deep, deep. They, 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 they lie in the gutter that runs alongside your spine. And they are our deep stabilizers of the low back. So think of this braid that goes, they go all the way up. And with dry needling, we address the multifidae a lot. And it is, it's pretty fascinating to take a, take a filament, a, a dry needle. Dry just means there's no liquid, so it's not like a shot. And we take it right next to the spinous process, right down all the way to the bone, and then take electricity and get those muscles to fire. And I will see specifically in the multifidi at the neck and the low back, it's a misfire. They just, for people who have back and neck pain, a lot of times it is like, and I have a current going. There's no reason it should be firing with that current. And they just, so we think of dry needling with this electrical stimulation as a, and then all of a sudden it's like, and you see it get stronger and it's like, it's almost like a, like a party in the low back. Hey, <laughs> yes. The electric current is happening. Yes. Like the multifidae are like, yes, yes, go. And the, so, you know, the blood flow is going to, it is hard to isolate those muscles because they're so deep. There are, you can, I mean, there's a lot of actually really good, um, information on YouTube. There's a lot of great PTs on YouTube where you can just put in there multifidi exercise, multifidus. It's spelled like multi, um, U-D-U-S, multifidus, multifidus, F-I-D-U-S. So, mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's a lot of stuff in quadruped where you're like hovering a knee that, you know, because it's, these are our deep muscles that, that extend and do some, you know, rotation of the spine when they're working unilaterally. Um, and so, you know, getting that, 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 that little bit of movement is challenging because they're so deep. Um, so I would always recommend, I do it. I go to YouTube to see, you know, what are some of the latest and greatest techniques out there that I haven't thought of on my own. Um, dry needling is a way to get those guys firing. Um, and a lot of times I think we put a lot of, as a PT, it is interesting that you and your friend went to the same PT and you both had weak firing left multifidi. It's like, do you really have weak firing? <laughs> because I've been there. I've been there where we are PTs. We get into a one track and we start seeing everything the same way. I would really look at how is the core working together? You know, how is your transversus? How are your obliques working? And, you know, in, in different positions, how are your hips working? How are your glutes working? How is your pelvis tilted? which might be biasing your multifidi in a shortened position or in a few people, a, like a lengthened, weakened position. Um, so trying to look more global, but it is not uncommon to see those guys very, very actively misfiring, which, I mean, getting that, it's like the hard restart and getting that rebooted and then working to maintain it can really do great things. What do you have to say about that, Laura? Yeah, I mean, I agree with all that. The other thing, um, there there have been studies that have shown that people with chronic low back pain um, almost across the border have, you know, barely registering multifidi stimulation. Like, they, in other words, there's nothing happening there. That doesn't mean there isn't a muscle there. And this goes back to the posture again. If you're habitually in a, in a suboptimal postural position, you're 
there's certain muscles that are going to fire quicker than others. And you want your proximal muscles to be the very first thing to fire. Because you have to think, if you're moving from a stable base, are you going to move before you get the roots down? No. You want the structure to be stable so that something can move from it. So um, those proximal postural muscles should be firing preemptively. So if yours aren't firing, I would do the same thing. I'd absolutely look at your pelvis, which I have a feeling has you have had a history of anterior tilt. When you've had a history, it's still in the wiring, right? It's still there. So you need to really focus on bringing that pelvis neutral. And I might even say when you're in prone, almost think of a posterior tilt to, to kind of spread that back fascia to give the erector spinae a little bit more length so that they're not, they're probably very, very active. <laughs> and for people that don't know, the erector spinae are more superficial and they do a similar thing. They they do what their their name is, which is erect the spine. They keep it spine and they have some, they keep it long and they keep it um, extended. And so if they're working over time and the multifidus is snoozing, there's going to be, you know, that imbalance of these guys are overdoing it. So get them a little bit on maybe a feeling of stretch in a posterior tilt, and then start to think of like, not even lifting, but can you lift your front body into your back body and then try and maybe lift your forehead off the ground or an arm off the ground, tiny little things where we're trying to summon that to fire. There are ways, and I'm sure maybe your physio did this, where like as a physical therapist, we can get in there and get <clears throat> on the spinous processes, on the sides of it, where the, the multifidus lie. And we're just, and we're doing, doing what the needle would be doing, but we're just trying to, but you can do that on yourself. You can get it right in there. Because again, tactile cueing is bringing this sensorial um, nervous, you know, the, the wiring to that area so that it is more ready to fire. Um, a lot of it is bringing awareness to it and thinking about that and making sure again, that your alignment is such that you're not going to be overdoing. QL also has some connective tissue that, um, bifascial connections gets into the multifidus. So if it's overdoing it, multifidus is not, um, you just got to balance that. That comes from the pelvis. All right. This is from Lena. Um, thank you so much for your work. It gives hope and energy to everyone and people like me who have had to go through the journey of realizing that hypermobility syndrome and EDS is real, the, really the hard way, wishing we'd known earlier. I listen to your podcast often and learn so much about the body. Forever grateful to you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for that, Lena. My question concerns something Kristen said in your podcast, 515. Okay. I love it when they reference it. Posture, prehab, and overstretched hamstrings. She said something about telling a hypermobile client that their hamstrings aren't tight, then being able to move their legs well beyond 90 degrees, lying on the ground, back down. I thought, and that is also how my experience in the body feels, that even though I'm able to go to ridiculous end ranges, my muscles can still be stiff since somewhere the hypermobile joint takes over and the muscle might not be very involved. The stretch doesn't reach the muscle, to, muscle unless I very consciously try to engage it in the stretch combined with trying to block the joint. Very hard and sometimes impossible. Are you sure the muscle isn't tight if it feels tight in the scenario you talked about? Okay, that's the question. And then she goes on to say, living in a hypermobile EDS body is, of course, a very individual experience. Personally, I haven't yet managed to balance mind-body activity rest, strength stretch, and it seems impossible to build enough body and mind strength that would be needed to counteract the long days of office work with tight deadlines five days a week. 
I've tried some of your yoga classes, um, but found that I often need slower classes to be able to breathe with all the stiffness and restriction I feel when trying to breathe enough in a, in a faster pace. If I didn't live in the UK, I'd probably definitely try to take a live class. Okay. So well, you want to address that since that was yeah. something, um, and I would have said the same thing. Go, yeah. No, well, I mean, <laughs> you know, I think that I'm, I don't want to discredit what you're feeling in your body um, and that it feels tight. It feels restricted. But I also, we, I can't discredit anatomy, you know, an anatomy of a muscle. It has an origin. It has an insertion. Just like if you have point A and you take point B farther away from point A, you are lengthening the distance. So when you are on your back and point A is your, um, the base of your pelvis called your ischial tuberosity and point B is down on your lower leg, so your tibia and fibula, and you bring point B up, up away, you know, up over your head, um, you are lengthening the hamstring. Um, so the ability to do that means it can get longer. That doesn't mean that you don't feel tight when you might you know, feel fine with it over, but you might feel tight when it's just straight up in the air. You might feel tight when it's in a shortened position. Like you might feel tight just walking around. And, you know, again, the feeling of tightness is not synonymous with tightness. It's a feeling versus an actual muscle length ratio. Um, And I think that that is what is so hard with EDS is the neuromuscular disconnect. Um, You are hypermobile in your joints, but in order for a joint to go to a certain, specifically the hip, to go into that deep hip flexion, um, you know, the hamstring has to allow it to go there. Now you can have hypermobility in smaller ranges, a shortened range where you might feel it, what feels like hamstring tightness, you might be feeling because of the hypermobility, you might be actually feeling some movement at the capsular level, you know, deep, which can feel similar to a hamstring attachment. So I don't want to discredit that you are feeling restricted, that you're feeling tight, but I don't know. I think the sensation is in the hamstring, but it's not coming from the hamstring. Just like when we have joint, um, arthritic change, um, any type of bony, um, let's say a hip dysplasia, people will feel it in their groin muscle, in their thigh muscle. They may feel it down the hamstring, but the issue is up at the joint. So that's more what I think you might be feeling as tightness is a referred discomfort slash, uh, almost like a paresthesia in a way, like a, a just a funny sensation in your hamstring that's pr- probably coming from the joint hypermobility. Even though you're feeling your hamstring, I mean, the hamstring is a muscle. It's lengthened point A to point B when you're in a certain position. It's it's shortened in another. What do you have to say about that? Are you kind of, I feel like that really came out super awkward, but. No, no, no. I, get, I think um, the summary is that when you have true hypermobility syndrome, there are lots of cues, neurological cues that you will receive that are not kind of appropriate. Appropriate meaning um, they're coming on 
and there there isn't really necessarily a reason, or they're not coming on when they should be, right? So it's like, I don't want to say this isn't right or wrong, or this is abnormal or normal. It's for this particular, and there's different type. I mean, there's many different types of hypermobility syndrome, um, but it's that the nervous system is registering, and it could be it's guarding because it knows there's the joint is very mobile and not getting its structural integrity due to maybe there's a difference in the collagen makeup in the capsule. Um, and then the muscle is guarding in a way that feels tight as a way of protecting where there are some people who could go into a low lunge and they sink forward and they feel nothing because their joint has moved and it doesn't have the same proprioceptive feedback and it's not giving any tightness, any in, you know where somebody else would never be able to do that. So the the appropriate feedback isn't is like you're outside the realm of kind of the normal feedback. So you might be getting tight feelings when you're you know like you're saying you're just sitting, you're not really even stretching it, or when it is getting stretched. And it, but it's just it's guarding in some way. I, I think the thing to know is know what your particular syndrome where there's triggers and realize like it isn't a nervous system thing. So like you're saying, going slower, focusing on your breath. I think going into end range for anybody with hypermobility is not a good idea. And there's really, you're not losing out. I mean, if, if people who don't have hypermobility don't go to end range, they're not losing out. There's many functional moves that never require you to get it into full range of, um, joint motion, but especially in a yoga class where there's other things happening, um, you should kind of guard that, use blocks, knowing that you're going to need a lot of feedback. You're going to need a lot of stability within these stretching positions um, because it is. It's just like your feedback is not zinging in the same way it would be if you didn't have that hypermobility syndrome. So you're that's where it's individual. You're gonna have to listen to your body. When that signal comes on, be like, hmm, why is it, is it feeling fearful? And this is why it's guarding. Is it truly getting a stretch reflex? And that's, or is it that I have just kind of sunk into my hip joint and pulled my leg and I haven't, you know, held my core stable as I move my femur. So I would play around with that. And I hope that helps. It is a tricky um, I hate to say diagnosis, but I know for people having worked with many, having the diagnosis is also very affirming because, you know, it has many, there's a many sequelae under it that are not musculoskeletal and, um, it could be digestive anxiety, all, all these things that, that are a little bit, um, not in the option kind of optimal normal spectrum of responses and, training your nervous system as best as you can to know when something is safe and this is safe. And I'm going to give it more of a safe feeling by holding on to stability. Because when you do hold on to stability, especially in the core, that's why reset is really good for a lot. The hype. I, I don't think I've ever met anybody who doesn't like that because it's just, it's, there's lots of proprioceptors in your, in the core and you get lots of good feedback in ways that you wouldn't just moving through space when you're, when your body's not on the ground. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point about the guarding, you know, it's that you're in constant protective mode and, you know, 
just kind of similar to what we were talking about with the last question, the whole misfiring, you know, I mean, that's very tiring for a muscle to be constantly on, you know, working. And, and so again, what, what feels tight may be tired. Um, and, um, and that's the whole body and people with hypermobility, the ones I've talked to, they have a lot of fatigue and it's like, it's very fatiguing when your body isn't having this coordinated response to little to no demand and then bigger demand. It's just, it can be exhausting. Yeah. So be really tender on yourself. Be gentle. It's, um, we're all unique and we have things we have to work with and work on. And, and, and so a typical, and you probably figured this out, like a typical kind of yoga class or even, uh, some kind of fitness class might not be your jam and you can modify or, or take, take more classes on the ground for sure. Stay on the ground a lot. It gives you such feedback and a lot of reinforcement. That's why the reset is really good. And so we do on the platform, Lena, um, cause you took my classes when I had classes on 108, which are pretty much all intermediate. We have much more variety on lit. We have slower moving, shorter. And so, um, I think go for shorter amounts to build the endurance and, and keep the speed at a, at a pace that feels manageable. Just like we said with Elizabeth, cause I, I feel like she's got some, some of that as well. All right, everybody. These were great questions. Um, and we're doing our best to answer them. I hope they were satisfying. If you have any remaining questions, those people that ask us, please send them in. And as always, we love hearing anything you want to send our way. We might not know the answer, but we'll give it our best shot. And we're always pulling for you guys. So thank you so much. Thanks, KB. I love you. Love you too. Thank you, everybody. All right. You know we're pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.